Well, I feel like we need to continue just debriefing the Rugby World Cup a little bit as we open this morning. I know that we've had a profound time of worship and communion. Um, man, what a great, I mean, what a great tournament, you know? I don't know about you, I enjoy, I live for it because it's like four years, you get to wait four years for knockout rugby. You know, you watch all these other games, it's like, oh, cool, we won or we lost, you know, but knockout rugby is just the emotional poker, right? I'm all in. I'm like, I'm all in. I just love knockout rugby. And uh, I know it's too soon for some of you hardcore Kiwi supporters uh, for us to continue to unpack this, but I think it is part of the healing journey that you need to take. Uh, how's our South African friends doing this morning? You feeling still feeling? Yeah, all right, good on you. Really cool. Uh, we're going to uh, change gears a little bit from uh, the hospitality series and have a few standalone talks before we hit Advent. Um, but one of the things that struck me in the Rugby World Cup, again, I am, it is, there's a reason we're going there, uh, is that, I don't know about you, but I'm like, like the way the, the, the forwards in particular, but just anyone, I suppose even more so for the backs, they speed up into contact. Have you noticed that? That trips me out. Get on the next slide, Ramon. Like, I just cannot get my head around speeding up into contact when these guys are in front of you. Like that for me is literally terrifying. And I just all through, I mean, I just, I'm in awe of any rugby player. I've got a few of them here. I'm like, just that moment where you're about to get, you're about to get pummeled. And rather than running the other way, which is what I'll do, you speed up. That's mental. Like that is truly mental. These guys are... I mean, whether I'm running towards them or they're running towards me, I don't care. Whatever way I'm running, just wherever they are not. You know what I mean? And uh, so I just, I just am in awe of the bravery of these guys. But also I love that, uh, obviously, that's just their expectation. Like their expectation is that they're going to go into that, onto that field and <laughs> they're not playing tiddlywinks, right? I mean, they're there and that's just, they expect that. Like, it's not a surprise. It's not like, oh, oh, that hurt. You know, you don't see any rugby players, like, moaning about, oh, that, that was a bit rough, mate. You know, it's like, they're just there, and, and they're at war, really. They just know that it's going to be physical. They know it's going to be tough. And I've just been thinking a lot about a few of these kind of standalone talks that, that we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. And I just feel like we need to be reminded that we're in a battle, like it's war, you're in the middle of a war, and, and perhaps we as Christians need to just normalize the fact that we're at war, which is why you're probably feeling a bit bruised and battered, which is why it can be tiring, it's why it can be sometimes a bit discouraging, but I think when we just normalize the fact that there is a battle that's going on around us, in us, all the rest of it, in one sense, it's a little bit, there's a bit of relief for me. Like, as I've been chewing over this again, it's like, man, just this, this battle that's going on. And then it's like, yes, it's normal. That's the way it should be. Part of me is like, oh, okay, I'm not just a failure as a Christian. It's just actually the reality is that we're in this massive battle. And maybe you're feeling a bit tired or worn down, not just in body, but in mind because of that reality. And so... The Bible's pretty upfront about the fact that we're in the battle. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 says you've got to fight the good fight. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul says to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, take your stand against the devil's scheme. He prayed that their pastor Timothy would fight the battle well. 
he's careful to note that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil, and that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. But he nonetheless claims that we have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the Apostle Paul uses like these military metaphors. Now, what I'm doing in this sermon is I'm doing like a one sermon summary of a whole series we did last year called Live No Lies. So if you're like, if this is all resonating with you, then read the book or watch the sermon series again. But this is just a refresher on, on those concepts uh, because I think it's important for us just to go, yep, we're at war. And interestingly, like Paul using all these military metaphors, now the early church until the fourth century was, was just a pacifist movement. So it wasn't like, like the military metaphors were uh, there to encourage violence uh, you know, in terms of anything to do with actual war. Um, and, and this is important for us Christians. Like, I've said this before, but I'm like, you've got to let the Sermon on the Mount shape your imagination for the place of war, not Band of Brothers, right? It's like, uh, that, that, that's there. But they use these metaphors to capture our imagination about how serious this battle is. Jesus was really upfront about this. In, in John 10 verse 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. There is a battle that's going on. John Mark Comer in his book says this, Our generation has a low comfort level with military metaphors and faith. We prefer to think of following Jesus as a journey or lifestyle rather than a war. But our spiritual ancestors didn't share our reticence with war imagery. They were far more adroit at naming the reality of spiritual conflict than we are today. For centuries, teachers of the way of Jesus used a paradigm that's been lost in the modern era, that of the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, again, this is super comforting. I hope this is comforting. I'm like, you're in the middle of a battle. You've got a world, you've got your flesh, and you've got a devil that wants to destroy your soul. Be encouraged. Yay. So we covered this stuff in the past, but but I want to unpack these three things again because I'm like, at the the interesting thing is that so often it's like, oh, I just want to try and better be a, be a better Christian. And if you're not a Christian, like, I just want to try and be a better human. So I'm not going to eat the donuts and I'm going to go do exercise and I'm going to, you know, whatever. I'm just going to have one drink on Friday night and next minute it's like, okay. So it's like, and so willpower, we're like, I'm going to willpower. Now the problem, willpower is great when it's there. It's just a very depleting resource. So it's like, it's easy to make good decisions in the morning. By the time you hit the evening, Trickier to make good decisions, right? Kind of easier to make decisions after a summer holiday. We didn't really get one last year because it just rained all summer, but whatever. That's why we're all on the back foot. But then at this time of the year, more careful. Who's struggling? Like, who's just smashing their rule of life? Okay, one or two people. God bless you. (laughs) Enjoy checking Facebook for the next 20 minutes. So let's unpack why you're feeling tired and normalize the fact that we're in a bit of a war and, uh, and encourage one another to fight the good fight. Amen? So here's the three things that we're swimming in the middle of. Firstly, the world. We swim in a, cost, in, a, in, a, in a culture that's hostile to God. It's hard to stay clean when you swim in a sewer, right? Now, just to be clear, the world is good. God created a beautiful world uh, and we're called to steward that beauty and life and to enjoy the glory of creation. If you've been in Bay Vineyard, you know that we've talked a lot in the past about a sacramental worldview, looking at the grace of God revealed through all these beautiful uh, uh, gifts of grace. 
But there is a part of the world that's bent against God, and that's the water that we swim in. In John 17, Jesus says this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So like we live in this world that's hostile to God, uh, and that, that's tough. That's really tough when you're bombarded with messages that are actually not true about the way that God designed the world to be. Um, and so John Mark in his book defines the world, in inverted commas, as this, a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and a redefinition of good and evil. That's so helpful. That's so helpful. And interestingly, where does this flow from? It flows from Genesis uh, 3. Uh, back to Genesis, where the devil's temptation for Adam and Eve had two parts, to rebel or to seize autonomy from God, to secularize their lives to live apart from God, and number two, to redefine good and evil based on the voice in their heads, uh, personified as the snake who was later identified as the devil, and the disordered desires of their own hearts. So, so the culture in which we swim in is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin goes viral and spreads through society. And so then what happens is that the distorted becomes normative. Sin is recast as any number of things. Freedom, human rights, reproductive justice, the way things are, uh, boys will be boys, anything but sin. Lust is redefined as love. Marriage not as a covenant of lifelong fidelity, but a contract of personal fulfillment. Uh, the objectification of women's sexuality through porn is just described as female empowerment. Greed is responsible to sh responsibility to shareholders. Uh, gross injustice towards factory uh, workers in the developing world is, is just globalism. And on and on we go. And it's just like, we just swim in that world. It's really full on. Um, in Isaiah 5 verse 20, the prophet says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I just think it's such, like, I get that, especially the word woe, because it's not like, it's not an angry, it's a groan. Oh, woe. The sadness when, when we see, why, why, why the groan? It's because downstream from that distortion is all sorts of pain, all sorts of consequences. Like, honestly, if there's one thing the devil wants to do, and this is the reality of the world in which we live, the world will say there's no consequences. And it's like, it's just not true. It's not true. Like, it, this is the way it works. It's like, we will look at all sorts of, I don't know what TV series you're swimming in the middle of, of at the moment. Me and Jenna are in the middle of Welcome to Rex in season two. No, that's pretty awesome. Lots of F-bombs though, but whatever. Um, but overall, I'm like, okay, you could do worse than that. But, but most of the stuff that you will watch in terms of, of TV series and stuff, again, I'm sounding like an old 80s fundamentalist pastor right now, aren't I? But it, the reality is it's just not true. Sleeping around will just like, it puts hearts in blenders. But you'll never, ever see that on a TV show. And on we go, like, it just, it, it's, all this, the message is there's no consequences. It's just have fun. And it's like, then why do we, then we just look around the world in which we're in, it's like depression, anxiety, all sorts of mental health stuff. All the things are because it's a lie. There are consequences. 
And it's so, so woe, woe when you call something good evil and something evil good. I mean, woe because it's just tragic what's going on. And so uh, we swim in that world, and it's tough. But I tell you what's tougher, going against the grain of God's design for how we're meant to live. It's literally like going against the grain. It's like it, you will feel it over time. And it won't be in the short term. The, the consequences aren't there in the short term mostly. The consequences are in the longer term. And so it's like we can do all sorts of things with our bodies in the short term and think there's no consequences. It's down the track that you start to experience how that's deforming you. And so uh, we've got to normalize the fact that we're not of this world. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. Hallelujah. And our role is to learn what it looks like to live under his rule and reign in the kingdom of God that will see you flourish. Hallelujah. So we've got to encourage one another to choose the way of Jesus. And, and one of the, the main things we can do as we swim in our world is that we can just get good at discerning what's rubbish and what's true. So that's the best thing you can do with your kids as they're watching things. Ah, yeah, nah, that, that, you know how they're doing that? That's not true. Actually, what happens if you tease that out? Here's what happens. Blah, blah, blah. Like, get good at discerning what's actually true and what's not in the world in which we live. But guys, it's wearying. It's wearying. So it's okay if you're feeling a bit tired. But it's a battle. There's some big Fords out there trying to kick your butt. All right. So the world, the flesh. One of my favorite scriptures, I reckon. I adore this scripture. I love it. It's Romans 7, where Paul says this. You've heard this before. Just be encouraged as you read it once more. The Apostle Paul, the freaking ninja, the church planter, the Holy Ghost guy, miracles, people raised from the dead. Oh, here we go. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I just love it. I mean, earlier he's like, oh, these things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I shouldn't do, I do them. <laughs> like, oh boy, you could be reading my testimony there, bro. Like, that's just full on. I totally resonate. Who doesn't? This is the Apostle Paul. That, that whole desire, and this is again in that Live No Lies uh, series, we, we banged on about this great idea that often our strongest desires are not your deepest desires. So in the moment, we can have these desires. For example, I'm like, I'd love, I have a very, very deep desire not to be overweight. But uh, I also uh, have strong desires on the regular <laughs> to enjoy Burger King, if, which is, you know, if I drive past it, I feel this, this kind of strong desire to go there. And, uh, and the deep desire to be uh, slightly in line with what I probably should be gets overcome with the strong desire to eat a number three Burger King glorious double cheeseburger with bacon. It's so good. Anyway. And we can tease that out on so many, like how often do you like, no, this is not who I want to be, but then we wind up doing these things because our flesh just cries out for whatever it is. Again, I don't know how your rule of life is going, but the, the rule of life, which we're going to continue to bang on about, because the rule of life, this whole concept that our diaries would line up with actually the deep desires of our lives. So they would reflect because we can have, because the idea of being a deep person, of prayer, of integrity, but that doesn't demand anything of you. 
The idea doesn't cost you. It's good to have the idea. It's good to have a vision for who you want to be. But it's like being a deep person of prayer and then when the alarm goes off in the morning and that strong desire to hit snooze and go back to sleep is there, like that's, that's when it counts. And so it's like I want to try and live a life that's more in line with my desires. Uh, again, in, in the book Live No Lies, he's this, our deepest desires, usually to become people of goodness and love, are often sabotaged by the strongest surface-level desires of our flesh. This is exacerbated by a culture where the widespread wisdom of the day is to follow our desires, not crucify them. But in reality, be true to yourself is some of the worst advice anybody could ever give you. And here's why. Giving into the desires of our flesh does not lead us to freedom and life as many people assume, but instead to slavery and in worst case scenario, addiction, which is a kind of prolonged suicide by pleasure. That's a zinger. Such a zinger. So we may desire to, to uh, be like Christ, but we have this flesh that wants to do whatever we want. We may desire to live a life of integrity, but there's a strong desire to cut some corners. We desire to be generous and wise with money, but our flesh really wants those shoes. Uh, and on and on we go. So back in the day, Augustine, um, one of the church fathers, uh, was working through this. And his old, whole thing was that human beings are image bearers created in love to love God and each other. But, we, we, but, but when we disorder... Disorder our loves and let them run, run amok, we suffer. So in Augustine's view, the problem with the human condition isn't that we don't love. Everyone is, is created in the image of a loving God. It's just where that love gets channeled. So we either love the wrong things or we love the right things but in the wrong order. And so our culture is constantly in the pursuit of short-term pleasure and relinquishes long-term happiness because of the consequences. So we, we're, we're in the struggle of this human condition. We have this flesh. Uh, but thanks be to God, as Paul says, we have hope. Hallelujah. We can learn what it looks like to live a life of love. And, and you do that by accruing wisdom. Now, wisdom is, wisdom is, is the knowledge of what the long-term playout of this particular choice is going to be. That's what wisdom is. Here's how this is going to tease out. That's wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can know some things, but wisdom's like you can tease it out and go, this is what it means if I live this certain way. And the best, uh, best way to learn wisdom, here's, there's two ways you can learn wisdom. You can learn wisdom the hard way, or you can learn wisdom from others, the easy way. Now, there is a lie that I've heard some people say that it says, which self-identifies as a stupid person that only learns the hard way by the school of hard knocks. Don't let the devil lie to you about that. That is rubbish. Every single person can grow in wisdom and learn from others how to live a life that leads to human flourishing. Don't ever believe the lie that you're the person that, that learns the hard way. That is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. That's a horrible way to learn wisdom. Now, the best way to learn wisdom is from people that have learned the hard way and then who can teach you not to do that. And the Bible's filled with wisdom. And interestingly, you know what? I, this is a little bit of an arrogant statement, but maybe, I, I, we'll see. Maybe the Lord's gonna humble me. But I reckon I can probably tell the trajectory of a young person in terms of how much pain they're gonna go through in life by how teachable they are at a young age. Like, I can just tell when I'm engaging with people, like, particularly young people, not exclusively, but I'm like, 
oh man, like humility is the beginning of wisdom. Like actually, and that's tricky when you're a teenager because you think you know it all. And when you're a young adult, you think you know it all. But I'm like, it's, but, but there's some people that, I'm talking to these young people and I'm like, man, you've got a teachable spirit at a young age. That's going to set you up really well. Um, so the way that we can, can learn to, to kind of deal with the flesh and all the rest of it is actually to have a posture of humility to learn from, from sources of authority and wisdom. Again, from the book, Live No Lies. For those who follow Jesus, we choose of our own free will to place ourselves under external authority, that of God himself as mediated through scripture and to a degree our church. We do this because we believe authority is not inherently oppressive, but similar to parenting for children, a training ground for us to learn how to master our flesh and grow into people of love. Through trusted sources of authorities, we get access to reality. And when authority is used well with wisdom and compassion, we grow and mature into the kind of people who live in congruence with reality and as a result have the capacity to handle even more freedom. So as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the flesh isn't the primary agent that helps give direction to our life. It's actually learning to walk in the Spirit to walk in the Spirit, to come under the authority of God and His Spirit that's within us that helps shape and guide us uh, so that we can become the the people that we long to be, those deep desires to be loving and joyful and unanxious and unhurried and helpful and deeply good souls. That's the dream. And so uh, whether we're we're 12 years old or whether we're 112 years old, uh, the invitation is to have a humility to continue to learn from others how we can learn well. And so I want to encourage us in this whole battle of the flesh, let's cheer each other on. Let's encourage one another. Let's discern the invitation of the Holy Spirit. Let's, uh, I'm grateful for communion every week because I need that. I fail in this endeavor all the time. But hallelujah, we come to the God of grace and then I want to learn together how I can live a life of love. And lastly, the devil. It's the world, the flesh. No wonder you're tired. No wonder it feels like, but I hope someone's feeling encouraged this morning where it's like, oh, it's not just me. It's your pastor too, man. It's just like, oh, it's a battle. There's a devil. Um, And I know that that sounds very archaic. We've got to deal with some chronological snobbery that thinks that somehow we know more than Jesus did. Oh, no, it's all that. No, there is a, I'm, I'm convinced there's a devil. And especially um, when the devil's end goal is murder, right? He came to kill and destroy, said Jesus. Jesus came to bring life in all of its fullness. And like I've been a pastor long enough now to have taken too many funerals by suicide. And I've been a pastor long enough to have had a number of very deep conversations with people whose lives were spared miraculously even though they gave it a nudge in terms of taking their lives. And when I talk to folks that got to that dark place, like there is without a doubt a devil lying to them about the worth of their lives and lying to them about that being an option. Like there's just, like they can, they, they know that. Like when you get clarity out of that dark space, it's like, man, there is a devil who wants to, and I'm sure in the room there have been a lot of us that have struggled with very dark thoughts. And then you like you come out of it and you look at the cold, hard light of day, you're like, man, there was something 
evil whispering in my ear because he wants to kill. Jesus said that he's a murderer from the beginning and he is at war with God and God's kingdom. All that is good and beautiful and true. Satan's manifesto is to bring hell to earth. Jesus' manifesto is let's bring heaven to earth. And honestly, I believe in hell because I see a lot of people experiencing that on the regular every day. That's not just something that, you know, I'm like, that is a reality that people live with. People live in hell sometimes. And it's just, and it's like God has come to see his kingdom come, the kingdom of heaven. And it can break into the darkest place. Hallelujah. The light, like, you flick a light switch on, it's not like the light battles with the, uh, the, the darkness battles with the light. There's no, str- you flick on that light switch in your lounge and in the middle of the night, bang, the darkness is gone. That's how strong the light is, hallelujah, hallelujah. But the devil's there and his desire is murder and destruction and the primary way he goes about it is to tell lies. Jesus says in John 8 verse 44, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so the devil uh, comes, and, and, and how does he do this? It's not like, you know, the sky is red. It's, well, devil, that's dumb, of course. No, he takes truth and distorts it just a little bit and, and then says, no, this is truth. And so it can be believable. That's the tricky thing. He's good at lying. It's his native language. And so, uh, so then this, this is what's happened with uh, the world in which we live, our flesh is swimming in this world and then you've got an enemy who's like basically just got this lie that says you're an animal with time and chance on your side, right? That's kind of the secular mind map. Like you're an animal with time and chance. It's kind of like amazing how it's happened, but we're still just whatever. In fact, next slide, David Farrier, who's a secular journalist, it just, I'd love that he's just up front about it. Does that bother anyone else that we're just a self-aware bunch of chemical, electrical signals firing away in some fatty mush being carried around by a rapidly dying meat suit? It's like, well, good on you for being honest about it. You know, at least you're up front. That's the secular. And if that's the case, then sexuality, gender, marriage, morality becomes no more than a social construct from the patriarchy to oppress you and limit your freedom. Right? Again, you tease that stuff out. And so if you believe that it won't take long before you're doing things with your body and behaving in ways that are deeply dehumanizing and bring enormous pain to your life. But if your mental mind map, if if the truth that, that you deeply believe is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have a creator God who loves you, is for you and wants to see you flourish, if you believe that this God that everything he calls you to is motivated by love and leads you to life, then the mental mind that you have will help you live in a way that's congruent to the way that we're truly meant to live. And so we live in this battle zone where you've got, this, you've got the world, the flesh, the devil going on. But the Bible says this, I love this, resist the devil and he will flee. I've got a story of mine. One of my mates was a... Um, Amazing uh, leader in the Christian in the church back in the day in New Zealand, and and a whole lot of the boys from the gangs were getting saved back back in the day. And one of the boys just took this past this scripture, resist the devil, and he will flee. And he was like, and he was using that, but fair bit of sanctification still to go on when it came to his language. So he would just tell the devil to f off all the time, <laughs> right? And I hope you understand what I mean by that that letter. Like he was telling him to to go away in, in strong language. So my mate's telling the story down south at a Brethren church in uh, just uh, in Southland. 
but forgot to censor himself and uh, told the story in its, its harsh reality. <laughs> and I uh, had a lot of elders lined up at the end of the service. He said it was an out-of-body experience, actually, because as he said it, he realized, oh, no, I've said the word. Because, again, he was just hanging out with forestry workers and gang guys and all that sort of stuff. So he just uh, he said, he said, time slowed down. I saw the word come out of my mouth. <laughs> and he's like, his strategy was just keep going ahead, and hopefully no one's noticed. Unfortunately, they, they, they noticed. Resist the devil. Tell him to go somewhere. <laughs> right? You will feel it. You'll feel those lies. You'll feel that, 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 that sense of deception coming in about a particular choice or what you're worth. Resist the devil. Like, you know, you've got to get in his grill and he will flee from you because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. He's strong. Jesus is with you. And so, friends, you live in a battle zone. Like, honestly, I'm feeling a bit weary, not just from a big year, but it's just, like, we all have our, and it's like the world, the flesh, the devil, we're not even talking about the private battles that you're facing in your world right now. Everyone's battling in some way, shape, or form, right? It's, it's pretty exhausting at times. Oh, it's just good to say it out loud. Like, we're all, we, we all, we're all human, and we all swim in this the sea, this battle. We're on the we're on the pitch with those giant friggin' South African Fords running at us the whole time. They're, they're, the, they're the baddies in the story, just to help the Kiwis uh, deal with our grief and pain, you know. But we and it's like, but friends, we're not playing tiddlywinks. Like this legit battle going on for the health and, th- and thriving of your soul, and so we just got to normalize the fact that we're in a battle. I think we've got to, honestly, I think for Kiwi Christians, anyone in the Western world, we so get conditioned with, with messages in our culture that say life is about comfort that we think that when we come to Jesus, then it's just going to make us more comfortable. And, we're just, and then like people feel really discouraged that you're struggling. Don't be discouraged. That's normal. Of course it is when you've got the world, the flesh, and the devil trying to mess you up. It is a battle. But thanks be to God, he's with us. And that's why we need to gather together on Sundays. That's why we need to worship. That's why we need to take communion. Because ultimately, John Tyson says this, the joy and satisfaction that come from being faithful to Christ will always be richer than the mere ease that comes from drifting along the cultural current. There is a deeper joy and satisfaction. And so while there is a battle, and it feels like death a lot of the time, welcome to following Jesus. You've got to pick up your cross and follow him crucify those desires of the flesh. Rage against the devil. You've got to expose the hoax that so much of the world is trying to say is normal. And the story does not end on Friday. It ends on Sunday, hallelujah, with resurrection life bursting into the world. That is why we fight. That is why we battle on. I finish with this. Um, there's a there's a, an accurate story about Winston Churchill from World War II, which is so cool. I wish it was true, but I, with integrity, I've got to preach the truth. It's not true. And, and the the kind of apocryphal story goes like this: that that CS, uh, uh, sorry, that Winston Churchill was invited to his old school to give a speech in the middle of World War II. And the story, which would be so epic if it was true, but it's not, is that they introduce him, the whole big thing, and he gets up and he says, "Never give in." Never given, never, ever, ever given. And he sits down. That would be epic. Unfortunately, that's just part of the speech that he gave, which had a whole lot of other things in it. But that is a, a word from the Lord, right? This morning, I just, like, I was, I was, how do we land this? And I was like, 
you just got to tell the, I felt the Lord say, you got to tell the church, never give in. And even I say it, I feel very brave heart. You know, I'm like, just never give in. Never give in. Never give in. Like that's, the, later in that speech, he says, we only have to persevere to conquer. That's a word from the Lord. You just got to hang in there. And honestly, friends, I wouldn't be a pastor if I hadn't just gone, I'm just, I'm just not, not going to give in. I'm just never going to give in. Not to do with leading churches, but to do with my own journey of trying to become more like Jesus. I've fallen off the wagon. I'm a master at falling off the wagon. I've got a black belt in falling off that wagon. I'm really good at it. But here's, it's not whether you fall off the wagon with your rule of life, with your devos, with your eating, not, not eating Burger King, all those sorts of things. It's, the, it's whether you say you dust yourself off and say, I'm getting back on the wagon. I'm going to try again, uh, empowered, not by just your own willpower, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to choose the way of Jesus once more. And so you're in a battle. Don't give up. Never give in. Persevere and you will conquer. The devil wants you to give up. The world wants you to compromise and your flesh just wants you to do what feels good in the moment. Never give in. Speed up into contact. Right? I love it. Speed up into contact. Like, oh no, you don't. <laughs> Speed up and empowered because unlike those South Africans or whatever drugs they're probably taking, <laughs> we have the Holy Spirit in our veins. Hallelujah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, all, I'm all cool though. I'm just cool, guys. No problem. I'm, I'm really, no problem. I think, no, congratulations, guys. There's only about five calls the ref made that could have, should have gone the other way. So, no, it's all good. No, but I'm cool with it. So sweet as. No, you deserve that, did you? We've got the Holy Spirit, friends, in our veins. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the ultimate steroids. We've got the Holy Spirit with us. You need God to navigate well and to walk into human flourishing. Don't believe you can do it on your own. You need Him. And, and the big issue in the West, again, it's a cultural reality that we have to push against in the church because this is a proud culture that says, I can be self-sufficient. This is meant to be the, the, the culture of humility that says, I depend on Him. Do you depend on Him? Or are you trying to just do it on your own? White-knuckling white it is just tough sledding. But, but, but as you humble yourselves and seek his face and, and choose him in prayer, you get empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life worthy of the great calling to be his sons and daughters, hallelujah. Speed up into contact, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you this morning to fight. Fight for the secret place. The devil is going to, the, the number one most contested place in the life of a Christian or the life of the church is the place of prayer. Because that's where the power lies to live the life of Jesus. So fight. I, I, I like that we're saying this at the beginning of November. This isn't, the, the, this isn't January whatever vision series. Let's live a life with devotional things going really well. This is November. We're tired. We had great plans for our rule of life and becoming a deep person this year. But then life got in the way because we're swimming in the world. The devil, blah, blah. Fight for it today. This is the time to reset. This is the time to fight for the secret place. 
This is the time to turn back up to upper clicks. This is the time to reactivate your huddles. This is the time to fight for the secret place. Fight for it. Fight for wholeness and healing. Fight to live a life orientated around blessing, serving others, especially the poor and the marginalized. Fight for your mental health. Fight for the holy and healthy habits. They're gonna see you. Fight for it, friends. But, but, but be empowered by the Spirit of God as you do that. You can't do this on your own. We need Him. And so this morning, in a sense, hopefully our weariness will be a gift that we need Him, a fresh dependence on God. Amen? Who needs this? Let's stand together and pray.